Good morning, all. Oh, it's good to see you again. Isn't it a beautiful day out today? It certainly is. Well, I'm excited to share with you today. I am excited to share with you every Sunday because God's Word is so amazing, isn't it? I, I mean, no matter how many times you read it, oftentimes, no, how many times you read a certain passage, every time you read it, if you're reading it to, to glean from it, God's going to reveal something to you. And I, it just excites me to study His Word and then to have the privilege to come here and share it with you week after week. Last week... I talked about the unpardonable sin, that there really is a sin that's eternally unforgivable. Now, I told you last week that I would have handouts for you this week because I didn't have time to prepare them for you last week, and they're back there today. If you're here and you want to get a handout from last week's message about what the unpardonable sin's about, uh, they're available after the service today at the normal places at the resource uh, area. But basically, the unpardonable sin is this. It's living your entire life having never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the unpardonable sin. Even though the Holy Spirit has prompted you and reached out to you, and God will reach out to everyone during their lifetime. But if we reject Jesus Christ into our death, then that's unpardonable. There's no other way. There's no plan B of eternal life, of eternal forgiveness than through Jesus Christ. Now today, I want to talk to you about ignorance and eternal security. Now, I'm not teaching you things to frighten you. I want you to understand it, okay? I'm not doing this to get you to doubt things. It's just the opposite. I'm teaching you what I'm teaching you right now so that you don't live in fear, so that you don't live in security, so that you have full knowledge of what God's Word talks about and teaches on these particular topics so that you can live your life without all these insecurities. So we're going to talk about ignorance. Now, I'm giving you a two-for-one today, and I'm not even charging you extra because I'm a good guy, all right? Now, last weekend, I commented that God can and will forgive sins of ignorance. However, I didn't want to cause any confusion, so I want to clear up any potential confusion this morning. Ignorance will not be an adequate excuse for not trusting Christ as our Savior. Two different things. What we're talking about, and what I'm going to label today, the ignorance defense. Again, God can and will forgive sins of ignorance. Now, what does that look like? Well, maybe someone comes to God and they hear the story of Jesus' death on the cross, and, and they want to respond. They want to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they're, they're thinking, oh, God, how can you forgive me? I was in that satanic cult for so many years. But God, understand, I just didn't understand who you really were, God. Can God forgive that? Yes, and he will. Or maybe someone might say, I, I, I've been an atheistic professor, and God, I've ridiculed your name in front of thousands of students over my academic career. I'm sorry, Jesus. I just never really got it myself. I never fully appreciated who you were. Can Jesus forgive that? Yes, and he will. 
However, ignorance will not be an adequate excuse for not trusting Christ. In other words, now someone is standing before God. Their life has passed. And they say, oh God, I lived my entire life without you. But can't you still forgive me now? I, I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand who you were. I didn't understand uh, about eternal life. I, I just, now, will God forgive that? No. Ignorance will not be an excuse. So will the ignorance defense work for you? Well, it depends on which side of eternity you're staking your claim. If it's over here on this side and you're still living your natural human life and you come to God and you want to trust Jesus as your Savior, you want his forgiveness, then yes, he'll, he'll forgive any and all sin. But if you wait and you try to use the ignorance defense on the other side of eternity, not going to work. See, that again is the unpardonable sin. You've lived your entire life, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, some of you are thinking, but pastor, what about people who never got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? How about them? They truly lived their entire life in ignorance of who he was and who he is. How about them? See, that's a harder topic to handle. So how about that? Well, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, in Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul writes this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what, they may, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Now, what Paul is revealing and writing to the Romans and, and subsequently to us down the ages is that no one is ever going to make the claim that there was no way I could have ever known about God because God has made it plain that he exists. Now, this is substantiated in human history. Because when archaeologists go and they find some ancient dig and they uncover some ancient civilization that humankind has never known about before, and it's getting increasingly rare, but when that happens, almost always within those civilizations are artifacts that represent they had some kind of religious system in their community. See, because God has put the knowledge of himself inside every human being. There is that knowledge. There is that, that, that sense that, that, that God exists. And then in his creation, as we look at everything around us, it screams out that it had to have an intelligent designer to create it. And the more science we discover 
the, the genome and everything, the more we understand that life is simply too complicated and too complex to have randomly occurred. More and more scientists and medical professionals are abandoning Darwinian evolution in exchange for intelligent design. Now, I'm not saying they're all coming to faith in God. Many of them are saying it could be aliens that, you know, you've seen all the History Channel stuff. But more and more people are saying, it's just too complex to have just happened and to randomly keep happening generation after generation after generation after generation. Why is that true? Because God has put the knowledge of himself out there. So people are without excuse. Now, what about all those people who never got to hear the gospel? See, this question makes the assumption that all these people out there were seeking God and couldn't find him. That's really what the questions assume. Well, they didn't get a chance to hear it, and, and, and they would have received Christ if they just had a chance to hear. Again, that's not demonstrated in human history. The history of mankind suggests to us that man has consistently rebelled against God, rebelled against the thought of God, the presence of God, the, the, the word of God, we have not embraced that. Think about this. You sitting here today at the bridge, the vast majority of you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. So you are kind of the cream of the crop. Now be honest. Don't raise your hand. I'm not seeking an answer. This is a rhetorical question. Just how passionate are you about seeking God? I mean, does God really have absolute preeminence in your life? And every one of us would have to answer honestly, no. We're distracted by so many things. We're the cream of the crop. And so when people make this argument, they're making this argument under the guise that, that all these poor people out there, they just want God and they're looking for God desperately. And that's just not true. They're not. But look at what Psalm 53 says. Verse 2 says, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand. Read it with me. Any who seek God. Read it again. Any who seek God. Now, for those who are concerned with that question about what about people who have never heard about God, here's what you need to understand about God. God is constantly... I'll use radar, right? We all understand the principle of radar. God is constantly having his radar sweep the earth. And remember, God's omniscient, right, all-knowing, and God's omnipresent. His spirit is everywhere, right? He's not limited by space and time. So his radar, the psalmist says, is constantly sweeping the face of the earth, looking for that man, looking for that woman, who is seeking him, who does have a tender heart towards him, who is seeking God. Now, an amazing account of this, and I'll just use one today because of time, can be found in the New Testament manuscript that we call Acts, the Acts of the Apostle. 
And it's a story about Cornelius, who was a Gentile, who was a Roman centurion. In other words, he was a Roman officer, and he was in charge of a hundred Roman soldiers. Now, in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 2, or verse 1 and 2, we see this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. In other words, he was a Roman officer and he was part of the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. All right, so let me set the picture for you. Here's this Roman officer. And from the Jews' perspective, he's a pagan. He's a Gentile. Yet from God's perspective, as God's sweeping the earth, looking to see if any understand, if anyone is seeking God, he sweeps in Cornelius. Now, I'm not going to read the entire story to you. I'm going to share the story of what happened with Cornelius. So here's this man, and God says, wow, this guy really is seeking me. This guy really has a heart for me. I mean, he, he's, he's doing great things, and he's giving to the poor, and he's praying to God, at least to God that he knows. But all that's not enough. I've got to get him some help. Because he's religious, but he doesn't have a relationship with me. And so what happens is God sends a vision to the apostle Peter, his, one of his original 12 disciples, Peter, the vocal one. And, and, and Peter has this vision to where a blanket is coming down, like a picnic is coming down from heaven and gets down there. But the food that is represented on the picnic table, on the blanket, is food that God has declared in the Mosaic law to be unclean for a Jew to eat. And, and so Peter's wrestling with this dream because you know, it seems that God is suggesting that he should eat this, this, this non-kosher food and he's wrestling in his spirit and what's all this about? So God says to Cornelius, God, God impresses Cornelius to send a group of his representatives to where Peter is. And he says, listen, send him up to the Joppa, and there's a house there, and he tells him the house to go looking for and, 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 tell, and go get Peter. Now, while they're on their way, God deals with this vision with Peter. And basically, Peter gets up from this vision, from this sleep, and he, he's trying to figure out, what was that about? You ever have a really weird dream? Well, back in this day, you know, they really believed that dreams, all dreams were from God. And in this case, it was for Peter. And Peter's trying to figure out, what is this about? What would, what, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And all of a sudden, as he's doing this, knock, knock, knock on the door, are these representatives from Cornelius? And he said, is Peter here? And so they go, hey, Peter, there's some Roman guys down here for you. And so Peter goes down, and they tell them about Cornelius and say that God has sent them to, to bring Peter back to Cornelius. So Peter does that. He goes back to Cornelius. And see, that, that, that's the interpretation of that dream. See, because God is making a major change in his relationship with humanity since Jesus Christ resurrected. It's no longer the Jewish people are his chosen people. All humanity are his chosen people. And now the Jewish people have to understand 
especially those who are leading the religious cause, that God now is embracing the Gentiles just like he does the Jews. And he gives that story to Peter. So Peter comes back, and Peter then shares with Cornelius the gospel. And Cornelius and all his house receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. So see, what that teaches us is that God is looking, again, Psalm 53, God is scanning the face of the earth. And where there is a person, where there is a man, where there is a woman who is sincerely seeking God, God will allow them to find him. He will move heaven and earth. So this ignorance defense, first it doesn't work because God has made himself known to all mankind. He's put it out there. And the more we discover about how life works and and more we discover on the molecular level, on the sub-molecular level, we see more and more that it has to be God. There's There's no other way to explain it. And God will always allow those who genuinely seek him to find him. No one is going to stand before God and say, you never gave me a chance. In fact, Philippians chapter 2 says the exact opposite. It says that God has given his name that is above every name, speaking of Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we'll... The ignorance defense work for you. Well, it depends on which side of eternity you make your claim. Now, let me segue into another matter that just bothers a lot of people. How can someone lose their salvation? Now, last week after services, and I talked about the unpardonable sin, I had a lot of people either through emails or they came up and spoke with me between services and that say, wow, Pastor, thank you so much for that because I've really struggled with that and I was so afraid of that and, and, and the, the word was able to affirm in them that they had not committed that sin. But many of them segued into this question or something like it. You, you know, Pastor, I've got this uncle who at one time was just really on fire for God. And he got away from God. And now he claims to be an atheist. Is he really still going to go to heaven? See, people play with that. All right, I haven't committed the unpardonable sin. In fact, I've actually trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But man, I went 180 degrees the other direction from what God wanted me to do. Have I lost my salvation? Has my uncle lost salvation? My dad, he, he, was, he was really fervent Christian at one time, but, but he totally walked away from God. Has he lost his salvation? Understand this, attaining or losing our salvation is not so much a part of our behavior as it is God's love. That's really important. It's in your notes. If you got your notes and you're taking your notes, fill in those two blanks. Uh, Let me say it again. Attaining or losing our salvation is not so much a part of our behavior 
as it is all about God's love. In 1 John 4.10, John, another one of the original disciples under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's not so much a matter as that we love God so much that we were breaking down every door we, we, we possibly could, that we were overcoming every obstacle put in our way because we loved God so much we just had to find God. That wasn't true in most of our lives, maybe any of our lives. What happened is, as God was sweeping the face of the planet, seeing to see if there were any who were seeking him, that radar zoomed in on us because at that point in time, God saw a tender heart in us. And so God, through some medium, through some person, through some message, through some technology, through some written word, God reached out and allowed us to hear the gospel of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. But the reason that we were fortunate enough to have heard that gospel is not because we loved God so much. It was because God so loved us that he reached out to us. In fact, that's exactly what Romans chapter 5, verse 8, when Paul, again, writing to the Romans, said, but God demonstrates. Notice that this is demonstrate is in the Greek aorist tense, which means it's a continual action. God demonstrates his own what? His what? Love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, it was not a matter of our behavior. God didn't look down one day and say, look at those human beings. They're really trying hard. Man, they're trying to live right, and they're trying to treat each other with love and respect, and, and they're trying to be benevolent to each other, and, and they're just, just doing things that are morally correct, and they're filled with integrity, and they have such a strong desire for righteousness. Is that what happened? No. <laughs> God looked down and said, would you look at that mess? Man, they need some help. They're, they're on their way to eternal destruction. I've got to do something for them. Well, God, why would you do something for them? They don't care about you. Well, because they're my creation. In fact, they're the pinnacle of my creation. They're the last Beings I created, and I love them so much. And so God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And God continues to demonstrate himself in this, that because of his love, his love is more powerful than our behavior. Does that make sense? John 3.16 therefore says, for God so, God so what? Love the world that he gave 
his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but, read it with me, have eternal life. Have yeah, and it's all based and founded and continued and persevered by God's love. John 10, 28. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. I what? I what? I give them eternal life. They didn't earn it. They didn't deserve it. Matter of fact, I looked down and said, man, you guys are a mess. I gave you eternal life. I gave you my son as an atoning sacrifice. And they shall never perish. I love this, this, this next phrase of this verse, of what the Holy Spirit inspired John to write in this gospel. He said, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, God takes his divine omnipotent hand and holds our soul in his hand. And, and, and the metaphor, the analogy, is that God in his omnipotent strength, no one could ever pull those fingers apart. He will never let anything, including us. Paul says it this way again in Romans 8.35. He asks this question. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? So Paul raises this exact question that surrounds that question. How can I lose my salvation? Remember, it's not based on our behavior. It's based on God's love. So what can separate us from God's love? I love what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. will be able to separate us from the, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So once we attain our salvation, we can never lose it. Peter so eloquently puts this in his first letter, recorded in the New Testament that goes by the name 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5, Peter, once again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, see, it's all about God's love, it's all about God's mercy. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And into an inheritance, that's our eternal life, that's our eternal promise, kept, or that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Why? It's kept in heaven for you, who through faith 
are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is being ready to be revealed in the last time. So, so once you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, God puts his omnipotent hand and fingers around you. And not only that, but God guards it himself. He's standing post. He's the sentry. He's guarding it. It's kept in heaven for you because it is a gift God gave to you based on two things. Number one and foremost, his love. And second, your faith. Once we attain our salvation, we can never lose it. Now, someone will say, so after we attain our salvation, it really doesn't matter how we live our lives? Uh, don't get carried away. It doesn't matter as far as your eternal destiny is concerned. Because God gave you eternal life as a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. That's a gift. However, we can lose eternal rewards. See, once we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior and we are adopted into the family of God, John 1, 12, yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Once that happens, we start a journey. We're now God's family members. And just like we have family members and, and, and many of you have children and, and, and you want to see your children grow and you want to see your children succeed, that's what God wants for us. We're his children. And he wants to reward us like we parents love to reward our children for good behavior and for going the extra mile. And God will give us rewards one day. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 11 through 15 says this. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Let me just stop and pause there. Once again, Scripture is saying what we've talked about, that Jesus is the only way. That's it. There's no other way. You can't build a, a hope on eternal life and eternal forgiveness on anything else than Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. In other words, there's no other way and there's no other foundation to live life by. Jesus is the foundation for eternal life and Jesus then becomes the foundation for the way we live our life. And if we try to live our life any other way than on what scripture tells us about how we should live as believers in Christ, then one day our life will be judged for the way we've invested it for the things of God. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. See, we're, there's two kinds of judgments that ultimately are going to happen after life. One is the great white throne judgment, which is a judgment for those who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. It will, it will determine their eternal destiny. We as believers don't have to fear that judgment because we won't meet with that judgment. Second judgment 
theologians call the Bema Seat Judgment. And that's a judgment of rewards, kind of like the Olympics. The Olympics stand on a stand, and everyone claps, and their national anthem played, and they put a, a medal around their neck. Well, we're, we're going to be rewarded in front of the whole community of those who have believed in God. God's going to reward us if the way we've lived our life justifies him rewarding us. So the passage goes on to say in verse 15, if it is burned up, in other words, if God looks at our life and he said, well, you, you got salvation, but man, you didn't do anything with it. You didn't do anything with your life. You just went on and lived your life for you. He will suffer loss. Now note, he himself will be saved. Still gonna get into heaven but only as one escaping through the flames. I mean, barely make it there. I mean, you're there because of God's love. But when you get there, you, there's no way God can possibly justify giving you eternal rewards. See, we can lose eternal rewards. Now, some out of extreme ignorance, say, well, I just want to get there, and if I just get there, that's okay with me. You have no idea what an ignorant statement that is and what an ignorant and foolish thought that is. It's the epitome of ignorance. Believe me, you want what God wants to give you. And what God wants to give you, you will be able to tap in and use and enjoy for all of eternity. Oh, I don't care. I just want to get there. So you want to just get there for all eternity, huh? Once we attain our salvation, we can never, ever lose it. Then... The question becomes, did we really ever attain salvation? Because Jesus declares in the book of Matthew, not everyone who comes to me in the last day and says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Many will come and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast demons out in you? Did we not perform miracles in your name? And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So did we really ever attain salvation? Once we attain salvation, we're good to go. But did we ever really attain it? See you next time. <laughs> but right now, I want to reach out to both believers and anyone who here today who has never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I, I want to remind both of you how much God loves you. He, he loves you so much. God has brought you here today, hopefully to reassure you in many ways that his love is greater than anything you've ever done or ever can do. Now, maybe you're a believer here today, and you've kind of got off track. You've trusted Christ as your Savior. But you're not really investing your life right now in preparation for eternity. 
I mean, you've got your salvation, you know you're going to go to heaven, and even after these past two weeks, if you've been here, you really know you're going to heaven. You know you haven't committed the unpardonable sin. And you know because of love's God, even your behavior is going to be trumped by his love. But what about your rewards? And again, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm going to get there. Dumb. Dumb. The reality is, every one of us who are believers, when we finally do get there, we're going to say, ah, are you kidding? I could have had that. I could have experienced that. Duh. I, I've told you several times a little chorus I used to sing with my teenagers when I was a youth pastor many, many years ago. And the words went like this, by and by when I look on his face, Beautiful face, thorn-shadowed face. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. See, that's going to be reality. More, more, so much more. More of my life than I e'er gave before. By and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. It's not too late. You'll you, you get back on, on, on track. Get back in the race. Live life for the prize that's at the other end. Eternal rewards that God wants to shower on you and that you will enjoy not for 60, 70, 80, 90 years, maybe 100, but forever. So believers, you, you, you just process that right now. But maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Then your greater need is to do that. And God brought you to the bridge today to give you that opportunity because he loves you. And it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Oh, man. Leo, if I told people they could buy it, I could be rich. You can't buy it. You can only receive it in faith. Let's bow our heads. How about you? Would, do you have that need today? Do you really know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know that Jesus is your Savior? If not, just so I know whether the need is here today and to proceed to reach out to someone with that need today. And I won't embarrass you, I promise you. No way I'll, no way I'll embarrass you. But if, if right now the Lord's Spirit is speaking with your, your spirit about this, about needing to trust Christ, would you just slip your hand up so I know that God's Spirit is dealing with someone that way this morning? Is there anyone here that God's speaking to that way? All right, God, we pray to you now for believers because from the demonstration of hands today, that's, that's who's here. And God, I pray that, number one, we might be once again this week reaffirmed in the security of our faith in you, in the security of your promises to us that are all founded and persevered and will be carried out because of your love, not our behavior. But Lord, help us all to, so to understand that as a member of your family, 
we have a new family set of family values that we need to embrace and that we need to pursue and that we need to allow to impact us and change us so that other people will see that change in us and be attracted to you. Lord, I pray for every believer here that we may abandon these insecurities, that we may no longer listen to the voice of Satan who tries to get into our heads and say, God couldn't love you. God couldn't forgive you. You've gone too far this time. Lord, thank you that your love is greater than life and death, angels and principalities, depths and heights, things present, things to come. Your love is unbounding. And we pray and thank you and praise you for that. In the name of Jesus, all God's people said, amen, amen, amen and amen.